So today, we're going to talk about a young man who became an old man but stayed the same man. That's a lot to say. Um, that's a, a pretty good statement too because um, most of us change a lot when we get older. I found this is going to be fun. This was, I was online looking at like lame jokes that I could share. I know what you're thinking. I don't have to go online for that. I've got plenty of my own. But um, signs that you're getting older. And what I loved was when I found this one website, it said 51 signs that you're getting older, large print edition, which I thought was mean. So let me just read it to you. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm not going to read all 51, but here's just a few that I thought were, yeah, pretty good. You feel like the morning after and you haven't been anywhere. Your children begin to look middle-aged. Which does not apply to me. You turn out the lights for economic rather than romantic reasons. Your knees buckle and your belt won't. The little old gray-haired lady you helped across the street is your wife. You're asleep, but others think you're dead. You quit. Oh, this might be the best one. You quit trying to hold your stomach in no matter who walks in the room. That hurts. Um, okay, this, this could make y'all mad because we're in the South, so it may not be a sign that you're old. It could just be a sign that you're Southern and a redneck, but they have it as a sign that you're old. You are proud of your lawnmower. You constantly talk about the price of gasoline. You enjoy hearing about other people's operations. I don't know what the fascination is with that. You no longer think of speed limits as a challenge. You send money to PBS. <laughs> okay, when I read the next one, you can't look around the room, okay? You cannot look around the room. Promise me that you will not look around the room. You will not look around the room. Your ears are hairier than your head. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> You've got cable for the Weather Channel. And when you bend over, you look for something else to do while you're down there. There we go. Um. <laughs> We're going to look at an, an, a young man who became an old man and stayed the same man. Now, we're going to be in um, two books. First one is in Numbers. You can turn to Numbers chapter 14. Caleb is the man that we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, I think I threw some of you for a curve last night because I put on Facebook that you could learn a lot from an old man. And I had a couple of people ask me who was preaching this morning. Which I took as a compliment that you don't think I'm old. I don't know if you meant it that way or not. But um, Caleb is the old man, not, not me yet. So we're in Numbers. You there? Numbers chapter 14. Um, we're going to look at Caleb at, at some different stages of his life. As a young man, then we're going to see him as an old man. And I'm going to try to help you, like, what can we learn from that? Okay, we're just going to blitz this real quick. First, Numbers chapter 13, we're going to look at a young Caleb. Um, I'm not going to try to give you the whole Bible story this morning. I'd rather just let you go home and kind of read it. Numbers is, is a great story about the nation of Israel. And they've been called by God to go into this thing called the promised land. 
And the promised land, it's not like when you move into a house. Can you imagine um, buying a house? It's yours. You close the deal. They give you the keys. And you go to the house. And when you pull up, there's a car in the parking lot or in the driveway. And you're like, that's, that's weird, right? And then you open up the garage, and there's more cars in the garage. You're like, that's really weird. And you turn the key and walk in, and there are people there. Um, hi. How's it going? This is, this is my house. I know this is my house. It's your house. You bought it, but they're living there. That's kind of the scenario that the Israelites were facing. They, it was their land. God said, that's yours. But when they started to go, they wanted to go into it, they realized, whoa, now, there's people there. So they, they had sent these, these spies. They picked 12 people out of the entire nation. It's about 2 million people. They picked 12, and they said, we want you guys. And I know I got some men here that would sign up for that, right? You'd be like putting the stuff on your face, you're getting the camo. Like this is a southern redneck deal right here, right? We're in the car, and we're going, and we start, we're going. It's recognizance, right? We're just checking it all out. We're seeing who's in the land. And they came back. He's one of those. Caleb, as a young man, is one of those 12. So here's what we know just from that little bit. Here's what we know about young Caleb. Number one, we know that he's a leader. Because it says, I love it, God's so clear. It says in the Bible that they chose leaders. I love that. I don't have to guess. We just know. Caleb, as a young man, was a leader. That says a lot about Caleb right away. He wasn't, um, he wasn't wasting his days on the Xbox. He wasn't living in his mom's basement or tent, however they did it back then. He was a young man, I think it's safe to say, of character. He, was, he was at least had enough character that when they went looking for one leader from each tribe, they picked him. He was in touch with reality. Now listen, i got to preface this. I was a youth pastor for 20 years, so I'm not knocking teenagers. But have you noticed that sometimes young people don't quite have a full grasp on reality? And it's not their fault. It's that they haven't lived long enough to, to really have that perspective, right? Listen, this week, suicide's in the news. Did you notice that? You know why, you know why teen suicide is so prevalent and so tragic? It's because teenagers... I know we're talking about Robin Williams, but we're talking about teenagers right now. Teenagers will kill themselves over things that you and I would look at and go, do what? She's just a girl. I mean, the longer you live, you're like, dude, she's just a girl. But in, it, for them, it's like, it's their whole world. There's, not, there's no perspective. They, 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 don't, they kind of lose touch with reality a little bit. They need people. This is why community is so important. They need people in their lives that kind of go, dude, you're going to get through that. It's going to be Okay. Caleb, as a young man, was still in touch with reality. You know people that are out of touch with, the, with reality. You know people who sound really spiritual, but they're out of touch with reality. Because they vomit as they tell you that they're healed. Right? You ever have people do that? Oh, I'm not <coughs> sick. Okay, yes you are, and now I'm going to be. Thank you so very much for sharing your germs with me. He's not out of touch with reality. We're going to see in just a minute that he went and spied the land. And he actually saw the same thing that all the other spies saw. He didn't like take a, a, one pill. They took another pill. And he sees a different reality than they do. No, they all saw the exact same thing. That's very, very important for you to understand. We can, you can look it up later. Use Google. It's your friend. In Romans, I believe it's chapter 4, God, through Paul, writes about Abraham and, and talks about how he was a, a man of great faith. 
And here's the word that I love, the phrase it says, Abraham was a man of great faith and he faced the fact that he was as good as dead. Love that. He didn't look in the mirror, go, I'm all that. I'm looking good. He was old. He was not sucking his stomach in anymore. He was an old man, and God said to him, you're going to have a son. And he said to God, like, I'm old and my wife is, have you seen her? Have you seen her? But he faced the fact that he was as good as dead. And then it says this in Romans, and yet he did not waver in his faith. Listen, I'm not going to call you to be people that are so out of touch with reality that you sound like lunatics when you talk. Caleb saw the same thing that the other guy saw. Well, let me just let me show you. Chapter 13, verse 23. Here's one thing that they saw. They saw that the land was more than they could have ever imagined. We talk about Ephesians 3.20 all the time. That God wants to do more in your life than you could ever ask or imagine. They go to spy this land out. And the Bible says, for real, right here, that they found grapes that were so big that like when I go to the fridge and I open up and I get a cluster of grapes, I do this. I mean, sometimes I have to like get scissors because I feel old and weak because I can't I get it off. And I just kind of walk around and eat the grapes, right? Is that what you do? They found grapes. They had to like get the hacksaw out and hack it off and pick up the cluster of grapes and tie it to a pole and two people carried it like that. That's pretty good land. I want to buy a house like that. Open up the fridge and steak, right? This is a, it's a good place. Everybody saw that. They all saw the same opportunity. They all saw the same obstacles. Um, Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 33. Here's what it says. When they had come back to, re to report to Moses. They gave Moses this account. These are all 12 of the spies. We went into the land that you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. Pulled out the cluster of grapes. They went, here's a grape. But the people who live there are powerful. The, citizen, the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. And everybody went, <gasps> we don't know why, but they went, <gasps> well, they did because they, they kind of knew Anak. They'd heard of Anak. They knew that was, they were like giants. So when they heard that, so what the Bible talks about how all the people's hearts just melted with fear because they'd heard of those people. I don't know who the bully was when you grew up. I know who he was in my life. And if I heard that name, it was like, do you have people like that? Did you have people that were smaller than you, but if you saw them, they could make you feel smaller than they were? That's how these guys were. So the whole country, two million people here, ANAC, and they all went, oh, we can't, what are we going to do? The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. They all saw the same opportunity, the same obstacles. Even Caleb, he said this. He silenced the people because they were all you know, sucking all the air in. And he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said this. We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. They are doing CrossFit, and we are not. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Wait, wait a second. I thought it was a land of big, giant grapes. 
So it just went from a land of big giant grapes to a land of big giants. Just like that. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. They were there, the descendants of Enoch. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, very important in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. No, you didn't. How do you know? Caleb saw all that. You, you get that? He saw all that too. So he's not sitting there going, no, they weren't big. They were small. No, they were big. They're not strong. You know, they were strong. He was in touch with reality. But he didn't just see opportunity and he didn't just see obstacles. Caleb also saw the opportunity to be obedient. Look at just chapter 14, verse 9. This is Caleb talking. And here's what he said. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Here's what I want you to see. A young Caleb, he's a man of character. He's, he sees the same problems that everybody else sees, but he also sees this opportunity to be obedient to God. And he got under their skin. Not like you've ever had a young person get under your skin. Ever in your life. Except for this morning on the way to church. Right? There's something about, we were talking about this this weekend when I used to recruit people for, to work with teenagers. Here's how I would recruit them. It was a real simple test. I would sit them down and I would say this. Listen, there's certain characteristics about teenagers that People either love those characteristics or they hate them. Do you love them or hate them? And they'd go, oh, I really hate them. You're not going to be on the team. Thanks for coming. <laughs> There's something about teenagers that they're so excited and so passionate on Monday, and then the next day, life is horrible. And they're, they're, it's, you're either going to love that or hate that. And, and listen, there's passion there. And what you're going to find out about Caleb at a young age is that's what drove him. He was passionate. The result of this little expedition was catastrophic. You can jot these verses down if you want to, or you can look them up later online. We find out in um, chapter 14, verse 29, that as a result of 10 of the spies saying, we can't go because they're too strong and we're too weak, even though Joshua and Caleb argued against it and said, no, we should go in, here's what happened. Everybody under the age of 20 they were the only ones that got to go in. Everybody over the age of 20 died. And they didn't die instantly. They died like we die. They just went around in the same circle, slowly getting weaker, sitting on the couch. Boom. They walked in circles for 45 years until that generation died so that everybody 20 and under could go into the promised land. Ten of the 12 spies died that very day. Chapter 14, verse 37. And I, I'm assuming that as parents, you're going to hate this verse. I know I do. Because parents don't want their kids to suffer as a result of their stupidity, do they? Well, I should say that again because y'all were not very convincing. Parents don't want their kids to suffer as a result of the parents' stupidity, do they? No. So listen to this. Chapter 14, Numbers 14, verse 33. This is God talking. He says, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. But Caleb was two of the spies that survived. 
So the question we have to ask ourselves is, hey, young Caleb, why did you survive when the other spies died? Why were you one of only two people over the age of 20 that got to go into the promised land? And the answer is found in Numbers 13, verse 24. Numbers 13, verse 24. This is our key verse for today. God's talking. He says this, But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land that he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. So Caleb has a different spirit. Caleb follows the Lord unheartedly. That's important to remember. Okay? So let's just sum up young Caleb like this. He's all in. Is that fair to say? He's all in. So what about old Caleb? We're going to fast forward. I need you to um, flip over to Joshua chapter 14. It's two books to the right. Joshua chapter 14. This is where we're going to find old Caleb. So it's moving day, right? It's moving day for the Israelites. And they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Finally, they've walked in circles long enough that that generation that had to die is dead. And it's time for them to go into the promised land. We're in Judges, I mean Joshua chapter 14. So Joshua, we'll be in, we'll be in verse 6. Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that didn't go with everybody else. They were the ones that said, hey, we could, we could take this land. I mean, I'm all about big grapes. Let's go get it, right? And so they didn't die as we're here. Now we're fast forward, and now we find that Joshua has become the leader. Moses died, Joshua's the leader, and Caleb is still one of the great leaders in the nation. And here's what we find um, in verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. We are in Joshua 14, verse 6. And Caleb said to him, said to Joshua, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. You'll see that word all the time about Caleb. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. What's happening right now is an old man is telling an old story. Do you know these people? When I was in high school, church was never like it is today like it was back then. I remember when gas was 37 cents. Old people that tell old stories. That's nothing new. I'm not knocking it. I'll become one of those. I'm becoming one of those. But something changes next. Verse 16, verse 10. Caleb uses the word now. I love that. It's like, okay, we talked about the old stuff, right? You remember all that, right? Um, You remember when we did all that and Moses said I was going to get the land. I'm following God wholeheartedly. But now. Now then. Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard 
Then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. What's happening now? Is an old man telling an old story? Uh-uh. An old man is looking at another old man. And they are leading a group of people who were a lot younger than they are. 20-some years younger. And he's saying, look, I'm 85. I'll still kick some butt. And, and I, don't, I don't want to go to the beach. Don't, do not send me to the beach. I want that. I want the hardest and best land. I don't want to go in against Kansas City and play their third string. Probably won't even make the team. I want to go against the best. This dude's 85 years old. I know people that are like 20 that wouldn't say that. At 85, a man says, give me the hardest and best land because I still want to fight. He's still in touch with reality. He knows that the enemies are there. And in verses 13 and 14, we read that he got his land. And why did he get the land? Because verse 14 says this. Because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel. How did he follow God? Wholeheartedly. Young Caleb, all in. Old Caleb, all in. Do you see a theme? Wholeheartedly. So what can we learn from Caleb? Just a couple takeaways and then we're going to be done. He never gave up on a promise, even when the people around him did. He didn't run away, he didn't blame, he didn't grow old and bitter. He was all in on God, even when others around him were not. Now, everybody that's young, if you would consider yourself a young Caleb, look up at me. Here's the biggest takeaway you can take from Caleb. Caleb had a promise. He saw something. He was all in on it. And when everybody around him was not all in, when he went on his Facebook, and I'm on Facebook, I'm not knocking it, but when he went on his Facebook after he said, hey, I'm going to take that land, I don't care what you wussies say, I'm taking it, and he checked his Facebook and saw that he had been defriended by everybody but Joshua, he didn't quit. That's really important, okay? Because sometimes we're going to be called to do things that people are not going to quite understand. And the people that are going to desert you first are probably your same age. And you've got to learn how to stick in there anyway. I said, I'm going to serve God wholeheartedly. He was persistent, he was courageous. He was passionate about the promises of God. And I believe this, that maybe the greatest thing that our church can take away from this little story of a young man and an old man is this one statement. The passion of God for a city is greater than a generation. He couldn't contain it when he was young and he couldn't contain it when he was old. The passion of God for the city of Albemarle is greater than a generation. It's greater than teenagers. It's greater than 30-somethings. It's greater than people that are 80. And when all of us are gone, he'll still have a passion for this city. 
It's greater than a generation. It cannot be contained in an age demographic. It cannot be contained in a social or economic demographic. The passion of God is too great. It spills out the love buzz, the love ooze. We've talked about all this stuff. It just oozes out. It cannot be contained in a person or in a generation. Those who live wholeheartedly for the Lord know that. We don't live with only ourselves in mind. I want you to... um, I want you just to jot this down on your paper because you're going to write it and go, I don't know if I like that or not. You can wrestle with it on your own time. But here's a statement I want you to think about. In quotations, me and Jesus. Do you know, you know, you know what I mean by me and Jesus? Have you ever heard people say that? Well, me and Jesus, we got a good thing going, right? Well, it's just me and Jesus. I don't really care about anybody else. I don't, like, I, don't, I don't even like church because Christians are stupid and idiots. But it's just me and Jesus, right? Me and Jesus is half-hearted thinking. That's what I want you to write down. Me and Jesus is half-hearted thinking. What do I mean by that? It's a selfish mindset that sounds spiritual but only goes halfway. Here's how we know. Just from the story of Caleb. God wants to redeem a people, not just a person. God wants to redeem and change a city, not just a church. It's not enough for you to meet Jesus and go, close the doors, call it a day. This is fantastic, while the whole world goes to hell. It's also not a good thing for all of us to come in here and say, great service, Phil killed it. Man, he hit that, he hit that high note, and it didn't waver. I was trying to hit the high note. If you're around me, I'm sorry. He nailed it. We just closed the doors right now and said, man, let's don't mess this up. But God's not interested in a church. He's interested in a city. He's interested in us seeing the greater picture, which is why a few times a year, I don't sleep in my own bed, because Wendy's parents will come to visit. And so when Wendy's parents come to visit, I know that Wendy's going to sleep on one couch, and I'm going to sleep on the other couch, because we're going to give her parents our bed. It's called being hospitable, right? It's called honor. It's called we got a good thing going as a family and we'd like to spill that over onto other people. Because it's not just me and Will and Parker and Sydney and Wendy and no more. We'll talk to you through the window. No. It's not just me and Jesus. It's not just us and Jesus. It's all of us. I mean, Caleb got that. If Caleb had had a me and Jesus mindset, I don't know if the story would have been a little bit different. Right? Maybe the story would have been like this, and I'm sorry if this offends you, but I'm just going to talk like we would talk in today's language, all right? Maybe they would have come back from spying on the land, and they're all excited, and Joshua and Caleb are like, dude, you will not believe the size of the grapes in that land. And like, remember that clue that God gave us? He said, you'll know it's the land when it flows with milk and honey. Dude, it flows with milk and honey. This is it. This is the land. Let's go. And everybody's like, woo. And then these 10 people go, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. The Anax lived there. <gasps> Who? The, not, not them. And if this was written with a me and Jesus mindset, Caleb would have said, shut up. We're taking it. And they said, well, we're not. We're not going to go in. And he would have simply said this, screw you, I'm going. 
which is pretty much what we say. But instead, because a man of God understood that the passion of God for a city is greater than a generation, that dude held on to his dream for 45 years while he walked in a circle. Just waiting, just being faithful, just waiting, just serving, just loving, just burying friends that didn't believe and waiting on a promise. Because he knew the promise wasn't for Caleb, it was for the people of God. Here's your big idea. (laughs) Well, I'll have to explain this, okay? Because your sheet has the blanks that would say this. Halfway is no way to live for the way. But this morning I realized that that was silly and hard to remember. So, here's what it is today. Halfway is no way to live God's way. Halfway is no way to live God's way. Now, if you're here, it's your first time here. Like, what's the big deal with the big idea, right? The big idea is my way of acknowledging that you won't remember anything that I said. And so if you don't remember one thing, that's what you need to remember. Because that's what I've been saying for 20-some minutes now, I think. That halfway is no way to live God's way. Caleb knew the plan of God was bigger than himself, and so he went all in. So he could lead other people to go all in as well. What does this mean for us? What does it look like? What's the, what's the so what for us today? I hope it means that I'm looking at a church full of Caleb's. Some of you are young Caleb's. You got big dreams. You, you see how God wants to use you. You kind of come into the gathering and you'll, you'll like come up and talk to me like, hey, we should try this. And I'm like, that's awesome. Let's try it. And then the first time you try and it doesn't work, you're like, oh, God, oh, man, oh, stupid old people. What? Like young Caleb's going to follow God wholeheartedly. So even if it doesn't quite go right the first time, he's still gonna, I'm still going to keep walking with you. We're going to figure this out. And then I got, I got some old Caleb's here. And you're wrestling with a whole different thing like, is it too late for me? And I just want you to know this. I'm not 85 yet. I hope I live to be 85. I hope at 85 I can look at somebody and say what Caleb said. I hope I can say, at 85, I'm going in. And I'm not just going to get carried in. I'm leading the way. Any young punks want to go with me? Come on. I hope I can say that. And some of you here, you've lived long enough. You've seen enough of the faithfulness of God throughout your life. The last thing you need to do is sit back. Man, this young Caleb generation, they need you to step up. It's time for you to lead the way. It's time for you to show a young generation that God is faithful, that you have never seen the hungry forsaken, you have never seen the righteous beg for bread. This is not a time to put it in neutral. This is a time to put it in drive and floor it. I hope I'm looking at a church of Caleb's that has a passion for a city that's greater than one generation. Are we serving God wholeheartedly? And if we are, then we are passionate just like Caleb was. Are there giants that we'll face as we move into the promises of God? Uh Uh-huh. Do we have a different spirit in us? Romans 8.11 says the spirit that is in you is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. 
It goes on to say it'll give you life. It'll give life to your mortal bodies, which I remind myself of constantly when I get done with a long run, right? So I get that old man walk. Wait, I got a spirit raising me. Oh, ah, crack. But you've got the spirit of God in you, the same spirit that, boom, got you out of the grave is inside you right now. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that you do not have a spirit of fear like those ten spies did, but you have a spirit of power and love and self-control. An overcoming spirit, an overcoming mindset. We serve a king who went all the way, and so we will go all the way for him because it's the only response that he's worthy of. And, and, and this is what I want you to get before we pray. We do not go halfway with anything that matters. And we talk a lot about the Panthers and football. And like, you know, college football might be a better analogy here because we're just a few Saturdays away from, like, people just going nuts in public. In public. Like, men who have no business exposing their bodies will be painted with, like, letters that draw attention to their really large bellies. And the women would tell them to put their shirts on, but the women also have done the same thing, only covered certain strategic areas. And they will stand and they will cheer. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad because we're not doing that kind of stuff in here. I'm just saying, nobody goes half-hearted on the stuff that matters most. Nobody comes in front of me at a wedding and says vows like this, I promise to have and to hold you from this day forward to a point no, we just shut the whole thing down, wouldn't we? Like nobody's oohing and on over those vows. Whether they mean it or not, it's another story. But at least for the general public that are at the wedding, they pretend to be saying stuff like this, until we die, I'm all in. And we give wedding presents to that. Nobody's giving a toaster to the halfway people. I couldn't really get you a ring, but I've got a string to tie around your finger. Hold still. We're not giving wedding presents to those people. Nobody goes halfway on the things that matter. You've had jobs that you hated. Am I right? Am I safe to guess assume that? And guess what you did? You did the phrase I can't say on stage. You went halfway. But you've had jobs that you loved, that you would do for free, the paycheck is gravy, and you never went halfway. You would have your job review, and your boss would look at you and say, dude, how do you do it? Where do you find the time and the energy to go that far above and beyond what I expect? And you don't want to tell him that you would do it for free, because he might take you up on it, or she might take you up on it, but you're thinking, I can't believe you're paying me. You play sports. You want to be a football player that gets paralyzed? Go halfway. Just say to yourself, I think the whistle's about to blow. I'll stop here. Now, a good coach will tell you this. You play through the whistle. If you're going to get a flag, get a flag for hitting after the whistle. Don't stop before the whistle. Don't go halfway. Because halfway is no way to live God's way. He deserves more than that. Jesus did not get on the cross and say, I'll wrap it up there. I think I've shed enough blood to save half of you. Good luck to the other half. 
He didn't go halfway. He went all the way. And did he want to go? No. Did he get in the garden and sweat and bleed and pray? God, any other way. God, there is no other way. It's all the way or it's nothing. And Jesus, the person that you and I serve, said to God, all right then, I'm going to go all the way. How can we not? Has he not earned at least that much from us? That we will go all the way. Because halfway is no way to live God's way. My prayer for you this morning is that you would be motivated. Not manipulated. Just motivated to consider, am I living wholeheartedly for the Lord? Do I have a dream, a promise from Him that He gave me years ago that I have kind of let slip? Is it maybe time to pull that out and blow the dust off and say, you know what, this, I'm, I'm trusting you. Are you willing? Are you willing in three weeks to give up your seat so somebody else that doesn't know Jesus could have it? Or is that too much? Have we stepped over the halfway line? Well, I was in until you did that, Paul. But I don't know. He served the Lord wholeheartedly. Let's go all the way. What do you say? Let's push our chips to the middle of the table. Let's go all in on this thing called Jesus. Let's go all in on this community called church. Let's actually believe that a city could be drawn to community like that. I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere else. I'm here till I'm 85 and hopefully 86, right? I just want to go take the land. And I want to look behind me and see a whole bunch of Caleb's coming too. The funny thing is, I feel bad for, um, and I'm not saying this because y'all are like this at all. It's just something that th- jumps out to you when you're a pastor and you study scripture like this. I thought about Moses. So Moses has 12 leaders, right? And 10 of them die in a day because he had leaders that had no desire to go all the way. And at some point, you know what happens? The people that want to go all in, they just start to raise to the top rise to the top that was really good southern english wasn't it they start to rise to the top and i'm praying over our church that that's what happens here that the people that just say i'm all in i'm not gonna live half-hearted i'm i'm wholeheartedly gonna serve jesus bubble up bubble up and explode that's my prayer halfway is no way to live god's way